0: for His grace, for His touch today. Amen? You know, when that, um, when that woman with the issue of blood uh, touched the Lord, she touched Jesus, <clears throat> and the Bible said that, <clears throat> that immediately she felt in her body. She felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. immediately, the issue of blood that she had had twelve years stopped. How many of y'all believe Jesus is still the same today? He's still touching and changing people's lives. Amen. I thank God. Thank God for the touch of the Lord. Well, open your Bibles tonight. You got your Bible, got your sword tonight. Amen. Did you bring your sword or your pocket knife? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Well, we hope you brought your sword tonight. Open your your word uh, to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. going to pick up. We're doing a kind of a verse-by-verse study on Wednesday nights from the epistle of Philippians. We're going to try to finish chapter 2 tonight, if the Lord's willing. But we began last Wednesday night... Um, Talking about, we began with verse 17 and we talked about, we're talking about here in these last few verses, this last couple of paragraphs of Philippians 2 about a couple of priceless individuals, a priceless pair of people. A couple of of guys that Paul thought were very important to his ministry. And uh, the names of these two young men are... Timothy, uh, that's pretty easy to say. And then the second one is Epaphroditus. And you don't—they—they they already used that in a, one of the spelling bees, Amen. But uh, <laughs> um, these are two, two, two guys that Paul considered an asset to his ministry. And in this, in this passage, in this passage of scripture, Paul is commending uh, both of these gentlemen for the work that they for the work that they have done and are doing. And so we talked about his commendation of Timothy uh, last, uh, last week in verse 19, beginning with verse 19, he talked about Timothy and how he was going to send Timothy to this church at uh, Philippi shortly so that he would know their condition, that he would know that Timothy would go and report back to Paul how this church was doing. Paul was concerned with the church at Philippi, Epaphra who we'll talk about here in a minute had come from Philippi to Rome, bringing an offering from the Philippian church to Paul. And um, he, had, he, had, he, had, he had conveyed some concerns um, to Paul uh, about the church, some things that were going on in the church. And so Paul is sending Timothy shortly. He said he hoped to do that so that he could find out their condition, their state. And he said, I'm sure everything's going to be all right. And Timothy, will, I'll get a good report, and uh, I'll be encouraged when I find out about your condition and your state. But then he said this about Timothy, and we talked last week a little bit about Timothy and his conversion under the apostle Paul. And, uh, but then he said this in verse 20. He said uh, concerning Timothy, he said, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. So Paul is commending Timothy here, and he says that Timothy is like-minded to him. The Amplified Translation said that he had a kindred spirit, or it, the Greek word means he was an equal soul to Paul. He and Paul shared the same burden. And, and, and he told the Corinthians, Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, he said that Timothy does the work. When he was sending Timothy to the church at Corinth, he said, Timothy does the work of the Lord as I also do. Now, that's quite a compliment. When you've got this, uh, the great apostle Paul commending you and saying, he's like-minded as I am. He shares the same burden that I do. He works with me, he 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 is uh, he is uh, 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 he does the work of the Lord just like I do. Now that's 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 a compliment that Paul's given to Timothy. Man, I tell you, I, I I I would hope the Lord would be able to say that about me. Amen. I think that should be our every one of our desires was would be that the Lord would be able to say that about us or that our pastor would be able to say that about us. Amen? That they're like-minded, like-souled with the pastor. They're in unison with the pastor. And I'm not going to get off on that, but we've got to work together. Can I get an amen? So Paul is commending Timothy then he makes an indictment against uh, uh, the other folks and he says in verse 21 he said here I've got Timothy that I can depend on but he said I can't depend on everybody else because he said all seek their own and not the things which are of Jesus Christ. That's quite an indictment. He's saying there that so many of the other people that I would like to use and could depend on maybe, but they're too wrapped up and involved in other things, and other things are more important to them than the things of Jesus Christ. I think that could be said about a lot of people within the church today that especially in the day we're living. You know, Paul said one of the things that would be predominant in the last days would be that men would be... Men and women, people would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, and I think we can see that today when it seems like you know church used to be the hub, church for Christians used to be priority number one, but it seems like you know a lot of a lot not everybody we've got the, we've got the cream of the crop here tonight, not everybody, but some people have got to the place where other things are more important to them than, than the Lord Jesus are the things of God. And so that is a a problem in the church today and among believers today that a lot of people are seeking their own will, their own desires, and not the things which are of Jesus Christ. And we need to be putting Jesus first. How many would agree with that tonight? We need to be putting Jesus first and seeking the kingdom of God first and the things that are of the Lord Jesus Christ first. And, man, I'm telling you, when we put the Lord first and seek Him first, amen, everything else is going to work out all right. I mentioned this last week that we're living in in either, either Philippians 1 and 21. Philippians 1 and 21 says... Paul said, for me to live is Christ. A lot of Christians are right there. That's where we need to be. For me to live is Christ. Everything about my life needs to be about Jesus. But then there's others that are living in Philippians 2.21 that says, all seek their own and not the things which are of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be in that part. I don't want to be in that verse. Amen. Not seeking our own way, not seeking our own will, not seeking our own desires, but seeking Christ, living for Christ, putting Christ first. So, Paul said that about Timothy in verse 22 he said that Timothy had a proven character as a son with the father he served me in the gospel he had a proven character that word means that he had been tested it's a word that was used that uh, was used concerning metals that had been tested and been through the fire and tested for their purity and he said Timothy is one that has been tested and he's went through the fire and he's measured up. He was an individual. Timothy was a young preacher who was consistent. He was faithful, loyal, genuine, pure and Timothy was not a quitter. He was not one that that would, would easily give up. He was one that could be trusted and relied on and Paul knew that and that's why Paul is going to send him to the church at Philippi. Paul had found him to be faithful. Paul, in other places, you find as you read the New Testament, and the epistles, that Paul had sent Timothy to Corinth. He had sent Timothy to Thessalonica. And he had always proven faithful in everything that Paul sent him to do. And so now Paul is going to send him to Philippi because he knew that he could depend upon Timothy. He said, He has served with me in the gospel. My, I want that to be said about me. How about you? Would you? Is that, is that the testimony that you want tonight to have that your pastor can say that about you and you know that uh, you know that 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 the Lord would say that about you? He's faithful because listen, listen. When we stand before the Lord, you know, to receive our rewards at the at the bema judgment seat of Christ, what is it He's going to say? Well done, thou good and There you go. Everybody knows that, don't they? We all know that verse. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, Brother Rick, I can't do what this one can do or that. Listen, what God expects of you is just to be faithful in what he's given you to do. He that's faithful in in a little will be faithful in much. You know that that parable of the talents? There was one guy that had one talent, one guy that had five talents, one guy that had ten talents. He gave those talents to them according to their ability and uh, you know the one that, that had the least amount that did something with it received a reward just like the one that had the most but the one that had the one talent he didn't do anything with it he went out and buried it and then he stood before the Lord and said well, I didn't think I could do much and I was afraid and all this and made an excuse and the Lord said you wicked and slothful and lazy servant Whoo, hallelujah. I better get off of that. I'm trying to, I, you know, I'm trying to pour in oil and wine tonight, and then that comes out. But God's going to judge us. Jesus is going to judge us according to the motives by which we do what we do and according to our faithfulness to fulfill what he's given us to do. So that's, that was what we talked about with Timothy. But now he, he uh, if you'll look with me in verse 25, for the rest of the chapter, he begins to talk about, to them, to this church, about Epaphroditus. And he says in verse number 25, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, Fellows and fellow soldier but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Now Epaphroditus was a member of the Philippian church. He was, he was, he was, he was, he was a part of that Philippian church and he was a, another individual that had sold out to the Lord And he had actually risked his life and his health to come the 700-mile journey from Philippi to Rome to bring an offering from the Philippian church to the Apostle Paul. And uh, we'll find that whenever whenever we get, if, G, if we're still here and we ever get to chapter 4 before Jesus comes, uh, we'll find out about that offering that they brought to uh, that they sent by Epaphroditus. But in Philippians 4 and 18, um, the Paul said to them, He said, I have, he said, I have all and abound and in full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifice sacrifice well-pleasing to the Lord, well-pleasing to God. So he had carried this offering, brought this offering. The Philippian church was a church that, uh, one of the churches, or the only church, Paul said, in Macedonia, that communicated with Paul in giving and receiving. So they had collected an offering for Paul, given it to Epaphroditus. He made the 700-mile journey to Rome to bring that offering to to uh, the Apostle Paul, and um, um, he he had actually risked and hazarded it, ha- hazarded and risked his life to make this journey to bring this offering to Paul. Now, Paul, Paul says something here in verse 25 about Epaphroditus. And I want you to notice that 25th verse, and he says this, he says, Yet I considered it necessary to send you, Epaphroditus, notice, he, he talks about him. And says, He says, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So here we see from what Paul says about this young man was that he lived, he was a balanced Christian, and he lived a balanced Christian life. Notice what Paul says about him. He says, number one, he's my brother, And secondly, he's my fellow worker, and he's a fellow soldier, a brother. Speaks of what? It speaks of a relationship, doesn't it? Paul said, "Epaphroditus is my brother." It speaks of a relationship that they enjoyed because they were both in the family of God. And I've said this before. You know, we're we're uh, we're family here at. Abundant Life Family Church. We're family because we've all been born again by the Spirit of God. You're family. Many times your, your church family um, can even have a, a closer bond with you than your, than your flesh and blood family. Amen. Isn't that true? And so we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our Father because we've been born into the family of God through the new birth. Hallelujah. Amen. One time we was children of the devil. Anybody know that? Boy, people get, get upset when you say, you know, uh, you, you know, if you're not saved, you're a child of the devil. God's not everybody's father. How many knows that? We hear that fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man thing that that God is everybody's father and, and, and everybody is the children of God. And Jesus told a group of people one day, he said, you're of your father the devil. Amen. So, but thank God when you get saved, you're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in the same family. So he said of Epaphroditus, he said, He's my brother. And notice, secondly, he said he's a worker. And that speaks of the the job that he was doing. So every believer that's in the family of God needs 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 a good local church family. How many believe that? And then needs to be involved in the work of the ministry in that church, of reaching other people, of winning souls, of witnessing for Jesus, Y'all listening now? Amen. Isn't that right? A worker. He's a fellow worker. So we're part of the family of God. You you and I are to be workers together, laborers together with God in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. To reach others with with the gospel. And let me tell you, our time's running out. We don't have that much time left to reach those that need to be reached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to get them, get them into the family of God and get them saved. So we need to get involved in the work of the ministry. Amen? The Bible said that the, you know, the five-fold ministry, the evangelist, the pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher, the five-fold ministry is for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So we're all in the ministry. Right? We're all in the ministry of of being an example of of telling people about Jesus, of witnessing to others about the Lord. So he's 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 in the family of God. He's a worker. Speaks of a job that he's to do. And then the third thing he said in that verse was that he was a fellow soldier. Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier with the Apostle Paul. So we are all... Not only in the family of God, we're all in the army of the Lord. Amen. We're fellow soldiers. Listen, living for Jesus is a, a, you know, this is a, a battleground. It's not a playground. There's a lot of folks, you know, teaching, oh, it's just, it's just uh, you know, it's just a playground. It's your best life now. It's uh, everything good, 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 good. Well, it is good to live for Jesus. I'm not denying that at all. I mean, uh, living for Jesus is a lot better than living for the devil. I've been on both sides of that thing, and I can tell you right now, I'd rather live for Jesus. It is the best life, better than living for the devil. Come on, amen. Praise God. And that is good. But listen, we're not, we're, you know, I don't know, there was an old song years ago, an old uh, Southern gospel song said, It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. <laughs> Amen. And that's what it is. We're in it. We're fellow soldiers um, together in a battle. And the Bible tells us, Paul told Timothy in one place, he said, Timothy, you need to endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've not been in the military. I know that some of of those here in this church have been. But when, when you're in the military, I know enough about it to know this, that when you go to boot camp, it's not a recreational thing amen it's not a picnic it's not a vacation and soldiers have to learn how that's why they go through that basic training that's why they go through that boot camp so they can get toughened up and be strong and tough and know how to deal with what they're going to deal with when they get in the battle And Paul told Timothy he said Timothy you need to endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ he also told him and this applies to us too he said fight the good fight of faith laying hold on eternal life. So we're in a warfare tonight we are fellow soldiers together we're brothers and sisters in Christ we've got a job to do and we are in a battle tonight we are in a we are in a spiritual battle against the powers of darkness we're in a we're involved in a cultural war today we're wrestling against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and whether you know it or not it is a spiritual it is spiritual principality and the heavenlies that are working and influencing what's going on in our nation and the world today to try to bring bring this nation into, into communism, socialism. We're facing a cultural war, but it's a spiritual warfare. The weapons of our warfare tonight are not carnal or fleshly, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We've got to put on the whole armor of God, Paul said. Amen. He said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We're living in an evil day and we've got to learn how to stand having our loins girt about with the truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, our our, uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God has given us spiritual weapons and armor, hallelujah, to fight the good fight of faith and to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God doesn't want us whining and whimpering around. It's time for us to be strong in the Lord, to be courageous in the Lord, and to take the weapons that he's given us and stand and fight and win this battle for the Lord Jesus Christ come on and give the Lord praise well hallelujah amen we got to get out there on the front lines we got to be like a little David you know when all of when all of the army of Saul was hiding from Goliath and David heard his intimidating threats and David said who is this uncircumcised Philistine. He's defying the armies of the living God. Who does he think he is to be doing that? He said, I'll go out and fight him. And he did. And he had God on his side, and he won the victory. So we're in that battle tonight. Amen. So he was a balanced. Epaphroditus was balanced. He was a part of the family of God. He was doing the work of God, and he was... Doing the battle. He was a soldier doing battle for the Lord. But notice also this in verse 26. It says this. Speaks of a burden that Epaphroditus had in verse 26. And it says, Paul said this concerning him. Since he was longing for you all. He was longing for you all. Speaking of the Philippian church. And was distressed. The King James says that he was full of heaviness. Because you had heard that he was sick. And that's past tense. He was sick. He had been sick. And so here, you know, the the theme of of Philippians is what? It's joy, right? It's joy. Paul's joyful all through the book. He's encouraging them to be joyful. But right here in the book of joy, he uses words such as heaviness, distressed, sorrowful, burdened, that type of thing. And how many of y'all know that, that sometimes we, have, we experience those times of, of heaviness and burdens? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we still have the joy. You know, it's hard to explain because we have the joy of the Lord... But many times that highway of happiness and joy leads through the valley of sorrow. When we all go through that. I, I asked one night, if anybody here had never been sick, and one raised their hand, I'm almost uh, leery to ask if anybody's never been sorrowful. I think if anybody raised their hand on that, I'd have to say, that you're not right. Everybody's had some sorrow in this life. Can I say, get an amen on that? Everybody has. Praise God. And uh, I know Vicky and I have. We've been through times of sorrow. Every one of you have been through times of sorrow, full of heaviness. And that word "distressed" that he used there—that you—he said to the Philippians, you heard that Epaphroditus was distressed. It means full of heaviness, and it carries an I- the idea of a mental and an emotional anguish. It's the same word that was used concerning Jesus when he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And how many of you remember that story? When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible said that he was very sorrowful. He was very heavy. He was filled with mental and emotional anguish. And um, all of us as Christians have all had our own time in Gethsemane where we've been pressed where we've been hurt, where we've went through sorrow. And life is filled with experiences of sorrow. The writer Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, said uh, there's a time for everything. Amen. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. You know all that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But then he said that there's a time to laugh and there's a time to weep. And we've all experienced both of those times. And so the reason, why was Epaphroditus, why was he heavy? Why was he sorrowful? Well, What was the cause of this emotional anguish that he was going through? Well, look what it says in verse 27. It says, For you indeed... You, for, for indeed, he was sick. They had heard that he was sick. And notice, in, he says, Paul said, Indeed, he, Epaphroditus, was sick almost to death. So he was, he was very ill. He was very sick. He almost died of this sickness. Huh. Well, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to keep reading because I love the next two words. Those are my favorite two words. I've preached on those two words. I love those two words. But God, come on somebody, hallelujah, he was sick, indeed he was sick, and almost to death, he almost died. He was at the brink, he was at the threshold of death but God came on the scene but God had mercy on him hallelujah oh have you ever been in that place and God showed up have you ever been in that place whether it be a physical sickness or or a severe trial or whatever it was that had just had devastated you and you were so full of anguish and sorrow and hurt and sadness and you didn't know what you was going to do but all of a sudden God showed up there was a but God in your life and he showed up up and he did something for you in that situation anybody know what I'm talking about oh hallelujah but God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow so at the time of the writing of this epistle I want you to get this Epaphroditus was sick not at the time was past tense. He had been sick, but now he's well again. He was so sick he almost died, but God had mercy on him and he didn't die. Well, somebody ought to shout. I, I'm about to shout. God had mercy on him and picked him up from the very threshold right at death's door God had mercy on him and picked him up and miraculously restored him and saved him from death I love what Paul said there but God had mercy on him let me ask you a question okay here was a man here was a man we read it here right here here was a man that was sick and he was so sick through what I believe, when we read the rest of this, I believe was from overwork. He had traveled 700 miles. He, We'll see that here in just a minute. But, but it took a toll on his body. He was so sick that he almost died, but he didn't. Because God had mercy on him and raised him up. So let me ask you a question. Does God still show mercy today? Huh? I said, does does God still show mercy upon people today? The Bible says, what does it say? His mercy endureth forever. Is it Psalm 136 that just repeats that phrase? I mean, it'll say a couple of words and then it'll repeat. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy. He wants us to get the idea and get it fixed in our mind that the mercy of God endures forever. His compassions fail not. Amen. His mercies are new and fresh every morning. Isn't that right? Praise God. So if God would show mercy on this man 2,000 years ago, and the mercy of God extended to him, brought healing to his body where God raised him up and he didn't die. And if God's mercy endures forever, and it's still the same today, and he's still showing mercy today, could we not conclude that you could be sick and maybe at death's door and God could still in 2021 have a mercy on you and raise you up where you wouldn't die and you wouldn't be sick anymore and heal your body. Woo, hallelujah. His mercy endures forever. Healing and mercy are synonymous. Amen? We, we, We want to so many times connect mercy with salvation and oh lord we know yes it's connected there but it's also connected with healing as well because if you study the gospels how many times over and over and over again that a leper for instance comes to jesus and says lord have mercy on me what was he asking for he's asking for healing Bartimaeus said, have mercy on me. He got his sight back. The leper said, have mercy on me. Got cleansed. Amen? The Syro-Phoenician woman said, my daughter's at home grievously vexed of a devil. Lord, have mercy on me. The man with the, with the son that was demon-possessed and, and, and having convulsions and all that, and he came to Jesus and said, Lord, I brought him to your disciples to cast him out, cast this demon out, and they couldn't do it. If you can do anything, Lord, have mercy on us. And help us. And every one of those occasions and those instances where where mercy was called for, Jesus healed those individuals. Well, if His mercy endures forever, I would have to say because there's those that say, "Well, healing passed away with the apostles. Healing passed away. All those gifts are gone. God doesn't do that anymore." Well, then His mercy's ended. All looking at me funny. Amen. So if healing is mercy and it is, then God is still healing the sick today and will still heal because he's still showing mercy. I know people say Jesus healed and the Jesus healed in, in, in his earthly ministry to prove He was the Son of God, and the miracles that he performed did do that and did prove that he was the Son of God. But the reason, over and over again, you'll read in the Scriptures where it said that Jesus had compassion on them and healed their sick. So it was the compassion of Jesus that moved him to alleviate the suffering in individual lives. And ladies and gentlemen, I still have to believe today and conclude today that Jesus Christ still has the same compassion today and is still moved with compassion and he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities and he desires his people to be healed and well. Sickness doesn't come from God, amen? Amen. Oh, healing is the children's bread, the Bible says. So he's still healing the sick today. So, you know, to teach that the cases of Epaphroditus or Trophimus that he talked about, Paul talked about in Timothy, to teach that those cases, you know, Paul's talked about Trophimus that he left him at Melita sick. And, and, and people take this case of Epaphroditus and Trophimus to try to prove that, Paul and the apostles had already lost their power to heal or that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not biblical. The gifts of the Spirit are still within the church today. I think for the most part, they're, uh, they're, they're lying dormant. They need to be stirred up. I said they need to be stirred up and they need to be, be, be uh, reactivated and restored again to the church. But they, God put those gifts, they reside in the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost is in the church. They're gifts of the Spirit given to every individual as God wills. And the gifts of healing are still for the church today just as much as uh, uh, the gift, the simple gift of prophecy, tongues, interpretation, uh, and... Uh, the other gifts as well. All nine of those gifts are, are, are for us today. Amen? So God still heals. Can say, get an amen on that? He wants to heal you. Can I get an amen? Those that we prayed for tonight that are sick at home and couldn't be here, he wants to heal them. Can I get an amen? Everybody with COVID, God wants to heal them. Well, praise God. I'm about out of time. i got to hurry up here. Verse 30. Is that the last verse, ain't it? Woo, Hallelujah. We are going to get done with this chapter. He said, "But God, verse 27, but God had mercy on him. Verse 28, "Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see Him again, he may, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and, uh, and hold such men in esteem." because now here's here was here's what we want to look at because for the work of Christ he became close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me notice what paul says there because for the work of Christ epaphroditus came close to death to me that implies that it was it was this sickness was a physical breakdown rather than a a particular disease that was brought on by overwork, improper rest. As I said, he had traveled 700 miles to get to where Paul was. And Paul makes that statement there that he came close to death, not regarding his life. Now this is something here. What Paul says here when he says not regarding his life is so. When I when I was studying this last week, and I found out, I found some meaning out for this for this phrase and the Greek word that's translated not regarding his life. It just thrilled my soul because I found out that the Greek word there that that, that is translated not regarding his life. Now, listen to me. It was, a, it was a gambling term that was used when a person placed all of his money and risked everything on one throw of the dice. Now, we're not, and Paul wasn't condoning going to the casino. All right? No, I don't even know if they're open, but we're, we're not condoning that to go to the river. But if you've got that kind of money to throw away, throw it in one of these baskets up here. All right? It'll do you a lot more good to do that, but but it's a term that that was used when a person placed all of his money, he put all the chips, he risked everything that he had and, and just on one throw of the dice. And so for the sake of Jesus, and here's what Paul was referring to, that was for the sake of Jesus, Epaphroditus was willing to risk everything to lay his life and everything that he had and everything he was, to lay it on the line for Jesus. Not regarding himself, whether he lived or whether he died, he was going to do what God had called him to do and lay it all on the line for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Woo! Hallelujah! And I'm going to tell you, it's not, a, it's not a chance roll of the dice either, ladies and gentlemen. When you lay it all on the line for Jesus, live or die, you're going to be a winner. I said, You're going to be a winner. Hallelujah. You're going to be a winner. <laughs> Glory to God. In the days of the early church, there was a group of men and women who called themselves the gamblers. Not, it wasn't Kenny Rogers. They called themselves the gamblers and was taken from this same ancient Greek word that Paul refers to here, not regarding his life. But they referred to themselves as as the gamblers and what they did was it was their aim to visit the prisoners and to visit the sick and especially those who were ill with dangerous and infectious diseases. They were willing to risk their life to go visit those, to pray for those that had COVID-19. Actually, more dangerous diseases than that. They weren't afraid of getting it themselves. If they did, they were laying it all on the line to do the work of the Lord. Is anybody with me? And so often... Many times when a plague struck a city, the heathen, the, the, the pagans would just throw the dead bodies out into the streets and they would run away in terror. They, they would just throw those, people would die of a, of a disease or plague and they'd just throw their bodies out and they'd run away. But these, these Christians that called themselves the gamblers, they would go out and they would bury those dead. They would go out and they would help the sick the best they could, and so they would risk their own lives to show the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the book of Acts talks about, talks about Barnabas and Paul, and I'm bringing this to a close. Acts 15, 25-26, it, it says this about Barnabas and Paul. It says that it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to sin, chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gambler. We're going to lay it all on the line for Jesus. I know Pastor Wade just went into hospital rooms and prayed for people that had... Contagious diseases. I've been as a pastor and had to go in and put on those suit up with those yellow gowns and masks and all of that. And and uh, sometimes I'd just sneak in anyway and and I'd I'd bypass the gown and go in and lay hands on them and pray for them and trust God. I was, you know, oh well, that's not wisdom. You shouldn't do that. We got to be. We can't listen. We can't live our lives in fear, ladies and gentlemen we got to be willing to lay it on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ and to put Him first and foremost in our lives. But that's what Epaphroditus did, not regarding his life, risking everything, laying it all on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Worship team, you can make your way back. Anybody familiar, you're familiar with the ministry of John G. Lake, I believe Sister Vicky some years ago gave me a book, real thick book on with sermons of John G. Lake or on the ministry of John G. Lake. John G. Lake was great Pentecostal um, minister uh, from years ago, uh, late eighteen, early nineteen hundreds back in there. But anyway, he, uh, Brother Lake, ministered in South Africa. For many years as a missionary, he wound up having uh, healing centers in Spokane, Washington and up on the West Coast there, uh, established churches and things. And uh, he had a great healing ministry. God had given him a great healing ministry. But the story is that uh, that is given that he was ministering to those in South Africa when the black death, the bubonic plague was was taking so many lives. He was ministering to people, praying for people. He was burying many of the dead. He was risking his life for the sake of the gospel and for Jesus. But he never contracted the bubonic plague. He never got sick. And they, there, was, there was some doctors that came and they, they 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 couldn't figure that out. And so they asked Brother Lake, they said, how can you work with these, with these sick people and, and with, these, we, these, with this black death? And you, you've never gotten sick. What's keeping you from getting sick? And Dr. Lake a- answered them and he said, He said, the Bible says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And that Spirit that lives in me that resurrected Jesus from the dead... The Bible says we'll give life to quicken my mortal body. He said the Bible says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And this is where his faith was at. He was believing and trusting God that if he did the work that God had called him to do, that God was able to protect him from whatever... He needed to be protected from. He was laying it all on the line, so to speak, and not regarding his life and to do the work of the Lord and trust in God for his protection. Somebody said, well, that's foolish. Well, are we Pentecostals or are we not? Do we believe the Bible or do we not? So Brother Lake... The doctors didn't believe it. They said, well, we we just don't understand that. And he demonstrated it to them. They took some of the foam from saliva, foam from the mouth of a person that had died from this plague and put it under the microscope. And there was living organism bacteria there. They put it in his hand and he put it under there and those, those bacteria died. They were dead. He said it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in me that gives life to my mortal body. And that's the faith that God had given him to stand and risk it all to do the work of the Lord. And he never died of bubonic plague and he never got sick and he finished his ministry that God had called him to do. Amen? So what am I, what am I saying? I'm saying be in Epaphroditus. Amen? Trust God. I give your all, lay everything on the line to do what God has called you to do and to be faithful to Jesus in these last days. Amen. Father.